Welcome to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. Yeah, it's good to be back, though, with you guys in the city in Las Vegas. I love this city. You guys love Las Vegas? I love Las Vegas. I really, really love Las Vegas. But right about now, I'm done with the heat. And I'm ready for not heat, especially when I mountain bike, which I started picking up recently. And we mountain bike, we mountain bi- boked, biked, mountain biked uh, uh, in a uh, hundred, I think it was like 105 at 11 a.m. And I really thought I was going to die. I was like, wow, this is the worst thing I've ever done. Uh, so, uh, but excited to be here in this space. Love you guys so much. And uh, we're going to be doing a series this month called Souls. Uh, and I've been really feeling a, a thrust and a push for myself, uh, but also for this community uh, to have uh, increased regard and a reaching for lost souls, uh, being mindful of souls. And so we're going to talk about souls this month, but it's not just going to be uh, talking about saving lost souls uh, in just that specific uh, category and way, but it's actually just going to be talking about the souls of uh, each individual and all of us and how we love souls you know, the objective of evangelism is, is really to love souls uh, and to get souls to love Jesus. Like, this is the objective of the Christian journey in faith other than ourselves individually. Everything outside of ourselves is partnership with others to have their souls loved and to have their souls love God. Uh, this is such a simple, and it's really an oversimplification in a sense. There's so much to life. There's loss. There's death. There's there's gain. There's there's focuses and distractions and all kinds of different things. But in its simplest form, the entire approach we're talking about here is loving souls well. And uh, when we when we discuss souls this month, it will be not only about being mindful and being great partners with all kinds of different people and souls in their different places, but it'll also be about uh, it'll also be about our own souls individually. And are they well with the Lord? Have they been made whole? Have we allowed God to do an incredible work in our life that goes as deep as the soul? So we're going to start out in the scripture in Mark 12, 30. It says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. I love this scripture because I love talking about loving God and loving people. I mean, we have this really cool neon sign over here. And, uh, but it also happens to be like we did that because it's like our core values. It's our foundations. Everything stems from this place of loving God and loving people. Uh, and so you can see every ministry stems from those two things. Everything we do in a service stems from those two things. Like this right here is this really awesome, magnificent expression of a love for God. You know, we're like, I love you, God. You know, you're really, really good. And we talk about God. We magnify God. That's a love for God displayed in, a, in an element of our service and a love for people. We see that at the time where we're connecting, at the time where we're praying for one another or encouraging one another to love one another well. Uh, actually, one of my dreams in our community would be that that time that we're like blessing one another and encouraging one another would grow and grow and grow uh, in between, you know, worship and teaching. You know, that time in between, kind of that like uh, space there where we kind of talk about announcements a bit, but we kind of talk to one another. 
like a dream for me is that we we would spend that time a little longer and we would naturally pray for one another, partner with one another, hear where each other's at. And then, you know what would be really, really fun? Is to eat. That would be a wonderful thing, right? Like just to have some food, you know? And and uh, and it would be a great time because this is part of the body of Christ is that we eat together and we hear about where each other's at. We love each other. We care for each other. And we tend to one another's souls. And this is, a, this is an interesting part of our journey and our walk because souls, the topic of it, I did a little bit of a deep dive on some of the academia of soul and what the soul is because the soul is this really almost evasive, ambiguous idea. Like I could define it to you. It's the mind and emotions. I could talk to you about it even in what scripture says. It's, it's this breath, this breath of life. It's this part of us that's immaterial but that survives even beyond the body. So I could describe to you the parts of the soul, but if I were to ask you to love someone so well and, and then you to tell me what that means, that might be a little bit more evasive. That might be a little bit more of a challenge. Okay, what does it mean to love someone's soul? Like God loves my soul. What does it mean? What does it look like? How does it feel? Uh, when do, do, what are, are there boundaries in this? I, there's a lot of questions about it. And what complicates it even further, and I talked about in the first service, is that there's this interesting thing we do with the soul versus the spirit. And most teachings you'll hear would present that there are three parts of the person. There's the, there's the body, there's the soul, and there's the spirit. Uh, and if you're studying this out in a doctrinal way, this is actually called trichotomy. Uh, we're going to get a little teachy here just for a second. I, I promise it'll be over soon if you don't like this kind of stuff. But if you love it, enjoy. It's called trichotomy. But uh, there's also, and this is actually more of the scholarly approach, approach and perspective is that soul and spirit biblically are actually interchangeable words describing the same thing. This is called dichotomy. It's the belief that there are two parts of a person, the body and the soul or spirit. Trichotomy being body, soul, spirit. And now I particularly don't care where you land on this element and ingredient. Scholars would say it's dichotomy. Uh, The more popular evangelical perspective would be that it's trichotomy as three parts. Particularly for this series, for being a part of this community, for loving and living with Jesus, I don't actually think it matters whether you think trichotomy or dichotomy. Uh, not everyone likes the idea that like it's not everything can be easily determined, uh, but some things are kind of gray scripturally, and this is one of those areas where the the soul and spirit can be interchangeable in one study and perspective, or it can be like, oh no, there's clarity. It says soul and spirit here. To be honest with you. I am not the expert to finish the argument. I don't think anybody really is. My point and my focus will be this month and this time to truly talk to you and for me to partner well with our souls between God and us and us to others' souls. And we can scripturally talk about what this looks like, this approach to the soul and this allowance for God to work in our soul. We can see this clearly. And so... For me, the first and the most important place to start when it comes to allowing God to do a work in our soul is in Mark 16, 26, or excuse me, Matthew 16, 26, where it says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And what shall a man give in return for his soul? So we see that the soul, there's this immediate, significant, important thing to recognize that you can actually achieve a whole lot and lose your soul. So I was, uh, I was kind of an athlete as I was growing up. I was definitely ambitious. 
I was definitely competitive. I wanted to be in the NBA. I wanted scholarships, the whole nine yards. So people would quote this scripture to me all of the time. How many of you have heard this scripture before? Well, will profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? I heard it a lot, maybe five billion times growing up. I loved it, though. I loved it because it was a constant reminder, an invitation to something I didn't really understand but really needed to grow to understand is that you can achieve a whole lot. You can win in every setting you can imagine. You can win so much so that you actually win the entire world, all of the power, influence, and resources, and yet still in that achievement can lose your soul. So that taught me something, and I believe that should point out very clearly to us that ambition cannot save or win our soul. And in fact, sometimes ambition is the very thing that is the drive that causes us to lose our soul. So first and foremost, when we're talking about having an appropriate and a good partnership with God in our soul, it looks like us yielding our ambition to God. Whatever it may be, your ambition will not deliver your soul whole and complete and healed. So it requires a different cognition, a different mentality, a different priority for your soul to be made well. And ambition can do a lot of things for you. It can bring money. It can bring uh, influence. It could bring uh, some different things. It could even bring things in churches. Like through ambition, we can do some things. And whether those things last or are ultimately good, that's another question. But ambition can bring a lot of apparent perceived success. But when you're talking success on a soul level, as Jesus would want you to have whole and healed and purified and loved well, this doesn't take place through the vehicle of ambition. This takes place through the partnership and relationship with God. So be mindful of your ambition. Be mindful of what it causes you to do, the way it drives you, and what it causes you to prioritize. Ambition does not do a great job of prioritizing humility or yieldedness. Are you guys tracking with me right now? I don't want to villainize uh, making money. I don't want to villainize achieving good things. This is not what that's about. This is about when it comes to your relationship with God, prioritizing the state of your soul with God above uh, ambition uh, or successful ideas and goals be driven to be healed and whole in your soul with God before anything else. You guys with me on that? All right, sweet. That's a good foundation right there. So when you see this place, because we've got to understand that, that God actually is very interested in partnering with our soul. He doesn't just want us to have good ideas that sound Christian. He wants to partner on a soul level. He wants to do a work with your soul. And this can very much be seen as it relates to lost folks, too, or to, quote-unquote, lost souls. And we talk about lost souls in an evangelistic way, right? And we're like, hey, we got to save the lost. And sometimes when we say this, we're thinking save the lost is that drug addict or that prostitute or that very obvious, cliche sinner we talk about in churches but a lost soul can be somebody that's sitting next to you in church and has religious duties and obligations that they've mastered but don't actually have a healed and whole soul with God. 
and they're wandering and they're in churches every single week and they're looking and they're looking and they're looking for a soul connection with God, but they cannot find it. So the lost should not just be seen as those who are like that poster child, right? The ones we pray for that are on drugs and stuff. The lost should be seen as the person that doesn't have an intimate connection with God on a soul level. And that person could be hiding right next to you. Could be dressed nice, looking well, have it all together, even volunteering, even volunteering, even feeding the homeless. Like that person, and, and when we really understand that this is much more about the actual state and healed and development of the soul with God, not just getting that, that prize at the carnival and being like, look, I saved someone. You see it? I saved them, guys. Look, everybody, I saved this person. See, this is not the true effect or goal of evangelism to win a prize at a carnival and to march around with their souls like, look, I won this token of Christianity. I plundered hell and I populated heaven. Look at what I've done. No, truly loving a soul is not just winning them as a prize on the claim of Christianity, but it's actually not just allowing them to meet Jesus. It's partnering with the healing of their soul as well. See, the good news is not just like, okay, well, I'm going to go from sin to now I'm going to attend church. This is not the good news. The good news of Jesus is that he died and his blood heals you. It redeems you. It makes you white as snow, meaning the effects of sin cannot have an effect on your life anymore when you are under the blood. This isn't a ticket to heaven preaching sermon about souls. Let's get more people into heaven and that's our goal. No, my goal is not just to get more people in heaven. My goal is for people on earth to experience God to the degree that it doesn't only secure their eternity, but it secures a lifelong journey of their souls being loved, of their souls being healed, of their souls being repaired, of their souls being seen, recognized. See, this is the true goal of evangelism. The object of reaching out into lives and into souls is not so that we have something we want at a carnival we could tell everybody about. It's so that soul can experience love on a God level. I remember one time I won a prize for Jess at Six Flags. It was a giant pink gorilla. And when I mean giant pink gorilla, guys, it was a giant pink gorilla. And I won it because it was like this little game where you have to like throw this ball into a basket that's like this way, right? And so I watched everyone waste their money, right? And I watched them waste their money and waste their money. And I figured out what to do when I watched everyone waste their money. And like my first go, I get it, but it's because everyone else invested in my success, you know? But I won this, this, this gorilla, right? And it was like, yay, this was really cool. But after that, there was nothing to it. It sat in a room until we donated it to the Afghanistan children. And so now there's a pink gorilla in Afghanistan somewhere. And I think that's so fun. You know, there's a pink gorilla somewhere out there, and a giant pink gorilla. It was bigger than Jess, guys. And I made her, like, carry it the whole day at Six Flags because I thought it was so funny, you know, like this pink gorilla. I, I carried it half the time. But this is not, uh, our goal in reaching people's souls isn't like a badge, like Boy Scouts. Like, oh, look at this. I earned the help elderly badge and up or something like that. It's like, it's not about some kind of credentials we earn, that we did a thing and then we got a token and we accomplished a thing that God kind of wants us to accomplish so you don't go to hell. 
See, this is, this is being motivated by fear. This is being motivated by ambitious things. See, when you're motivated by love, your interest is not just in them saying yes to a prayer and salvation. It's them becoming like God. It's them operating, operating in a relationship with God that allows them to be fully loved, to be fully healed, to be fully freed. I mean, what a vision. But at the same time, this is hard. It's so much easier to make Christianity about like winning tokens. So we can be like, oh, thank God, at least I won that token. I haven't achieved all the other things, but at least I won that token. And so sometimes it's easier. It doesn't require as much faith to grasp a hold of that thing when you're like, look, I got them saved. All right, so somebody else disciple them now. Somebody else spiritually father and mother them now. Somebody else tend to their wounds, please. Somebody else do the thing now. Who do I hand this person off to? Like, they got some real problems. And because the reality is, is that when somebody says yes to Jesus, when it comes to their soul, there's a lot of healing. There's a lot of repair. There's a lot of restoration. And heck, I'm on a beautiful journey with the Lord where I still experience all kinds of bountiful amounts of healing and restoration of my soul. All kinds. And you see this in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. It says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you see a perspective here of partnering and what God wants to do with a soul that is much different and much clearer. So when you have issues in your soul and you're not pure in your soul and there's brokenness in your soul, there's fractures in your soul, it's important that you allow God to meet you there and to heal you to love you, to inspire you, to provoke you, to give you a hope. See, this is what it talks about in the Bible is there's this anchor of our souls. It's hope in God. This anchor of our souls. It's like, I hope in God. I hope in God. And when it comes to your soul, God wants to do a work on your soul, in your soul. He wants to meet you there. And he doesn't require you to fix the thing before he shows up. The Bible says God is close to the brokenhearted. And Jesus, when he walked to the earth, it was so clear what God was about. He went into sinners' homes, tax collectors' homes. Uh, he talked to Samaritan women. He spent time with people that were not at his spiritual level. He spent time with people that weren't even at his social level. And he spent time with them, and he loved them, and he washed their feet, and he ministered to them, he served them, he called himself the servant of all. So when you see this, it's like, okay, this starts to paint a picture for us of what it means to truly, truly, truly save someone's soul. It's not a paragraph, well-structured sentence to the Lord. It's not. It's, it's you say something to God, and then every single day you allow God to work on your soul, to heal your soul. I liken it to like marriage vows versus actually being married I told Jess all of these beautiful things, none of which I remember on our wedding day for my marriage vows. I remember the sentiment, of course. I'm not a detailed person. So if you ask me, hey, you know, when's this date of that thing you're doing? I'll be like, it's sometime in October. You know, I'll be there and I'm ready to go. Let's go. I'm not so much a detailed person. Jess, oh, wow, she's detailed, guys. Oh, she's so brilliant in it. She'll recount to me all of our, I think I've told you this, all of our Valentine's Day dates. All of them. 
All of them. That's wild. That's like 15. You know how hard it is to remember 15 specific dates over 15 years of dating, engagement, and marriage? I don't understand as marriage. <laughs> I don't understand how she could do it, but it's beautiful. It's a beautiful mind. So I, I, I see this thing where it's like I, I, I want to partner with people's souls, right? And, and, I want, and I want you to partner with people's souls, and every soul is going to look different. It's going to feel different. And so if we're truly talking about God is love, thus my objective with the soul is to love it well and to love it the way God loves it, it, it means that, okay, well, who am I taking notes from? Right? Who's my model of love that I'm drawing from? Well, the best model you can have is the model of how God has loved you. So, so if you take notes on how God has loved you, you'll notice that it's really specific. It's really specific because your soul is beautiful in a special way. Your soul's also probably broken in a very specific way. Your soul's also lacking in a specific way. Your soul gets disturbed in a specific way. But when God is love and he loves you and he leads you to love others, it looks like evangelism and reaching out is very specific, right? Sometimes and there's these different versions of evangelism. There's direct, which you and I can kind of know about, which is like, hey, I'd like to tell you about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then you tell them the gospel narrative and you tell them about Jesus. This is a very direct gospel presentation. But if you're talking about indirect evangelism, you have other methods and other approaches. And I want to introduce some of those to you guys today because I believe they're important. And one of them is relational evangelism. And this is when somebody, uh, subject matter-wise, isn't really capable of receiving a relationship with Jesus through the topic of, of Jesus and God, right? They're either averse to it or they've, they're, they're kind of, they've muted it. They've heard it too much. They're like, yada, 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 yada. I've heard that thing, blah, 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 blah. You guys know what I'm talking about? So sometimes what's important, because the Bible says God is love, sometimes what's important is that relationally we deliver God in adjective form. We deliver God in love form. And that means loving their soul in its exact construct, in its exact form. So that's going to look different. You can't really write a three-step process on how to love someone's soul well because, heck, your soul is going to be different. Hikaru's soul is different than Jessica's soul, than different than Donovan's soul, than different than Beth's soul. There's going to be different components, different ingredients. There's going to be different approaches. Like I started mountain biking, like I told you guys, and I'm mountain biking specifically and solely to spend time with somebody because I'm loving on their soul. And when I'm going four miles uphill in 104-degree weather, I am miserable, and I'm telling myself, you're doing it to love on this person. You're doing it to love on their soul. And it's the only place I can meet the person, So I'm, I, and they know this. I've told them. So, like, we talked about it. The other day, me and somebody else went to pick him up to uh, go mountain biking. He's like, would you stop coming to get me? Would you please stop? I don't want you to come get me anymore. I don't want you to reach out to me anymore. Please stop. He was frustrated at the time, so I knew it wasn't a real thing, you know. And so I looked at him, and I said, no. I said, no, no, I will not stop. I will not stop. I will not stop. So if it's mountain biking, let's mountain bike. If I have to get into bodybuilding with you, let's get into bodybuilding. If I have to get into some kind of something else that's not sin, let's get into it. I'm going to meet you where you're at because I feel a very clear assignment on my life to love your soul. 
So I picked up mountain biking just to love on the person's soul. I think it's all right. It's fun. When I'm going uphill, I'm miserable. When I'm going downhill right now, I'm scared. So it's kind of fun. You know, you're like, this is horrible. And, and this guy the other day, is, he was teaching me how to go off jumps, right? And he's like telling me these five instructions. And when he's telling me these five instructions, all I'm thinking about is how far will the truck have to come to get me when I break something? It's probably not that far. I think I'll, it's cool. It's fine. And then will Tim have to preach a couple of weeks or will it be an a injury that I can preach with? You know, I'm like, I'm literally like, and then, and then he's telling me, he's like, so you got it? And I didn't hear any of what he said. I said, yes, yes, I got it. Let's go. And guys, I'll tell you what, I was sure. I was sure I was going to fall and break everything. And, uh, but anyways, I, I did this. I'm doing this to love his soul. So, so sometimes it, it looks like that. And I believe, especially in America, it looks like that more often than not. Because the topic of Jesus has been talked about. So, so it's almost like people don't necessarily need an introduction and education of the topic of Jesus. They need, an, they need to, to actually connect with Jesus in you, which would be love inside of you. So this is a real challenge to express because the love of God is perfect. And it's unconditional. And you may not have looked at your love expression right now, but you have conditions. I do. You have conditions. I have conditions. We have conditions. And so when we're challenged to walk with the love of Jesus in someone's life, it's going to test our parameters. It's going to test the boundaries of our love. How far will you go? How low will you get to wash their feet? How stinky of feet will you wash? How long will you wash their feet? How long will you pray for them? How long will you reach out to them? How long will you give to them? How long will you love them one-sided? It's going to test the fibers of your ability to love. So when we're talking about seeing a city saved, we love talking about, we love talking about revival, right? We love talking about inheriting a nation, right? But why on earth would we inherit something that we're not capable of loving? Like what if God gave us this city? Do you know how many people in the city we have not learned to love? I don't know what's your persuasion politically or socially or economically. I, I don't know what it is, but I, I do know that if you really get into this thing, you understand that God loves you to this fullest capacity and it challenges you to love people to that same full capacity. But too often we just learn to love those who are like us or that we have good emotional chemistry with. But man, if God only did that, then he would never have sent his son to die for us while we were still sinners. See, God has displayed this loving pursuit of our soul, not just for one generation, my generation, but for all of mankind. He made covenants with Adam and Moses and Abraham, a bunch of people along the way. And mankind was really good at accepting a covenant and then breaking a covenant. Accepting the covenant and then breaking the covenant. Accepting and breaking, accepting and breaking. And in that state of pure perpetual failure, God's like, I got an idea. I'm going to send my son. If we're going to love, if we're going to love people's souls the way God loves people's souls, it looks like not just a two-month evangelism journey with the person. It looks like a life. 
It looks like generations. It looks like, I don't just love Donovan, right? It looks like if I'm loving Donovan's soul the way God loves his soul, it doesn't just include Donovan, it includes his seed, his kids. It includes me loving his sons and then loving his son's sons or daughters. And the same way that God loves them. See, he didn't just love Adam and Eve. He loved every generation after that and he pursued them. So if you love a person and this mother or this father doesn't give their life to Jesus and say they pass away, then it looks like you're not only loving that person, but also the generations that follow that person. What about his kids? What about his grandkids? What about his kids, 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 kids? What does it look like to truly champion the soul of a person, to love the soul of a person? I believe there's a whole lot of um, loving acts that we're going to unlock when we learn to love people's souls in the way God has loved our souls. I believe that it'll even have us starting to, to cross over family lines. Like, do you just pay for your kid's college or do you pay for others' college as well? And I know this starts to get into like, well, I only have so much money, man. What am I supposed to do here, right? So I, I get it. So I'm not telling you to pay for everyone's college, but what I'm saying is, is when you love people's souls the way God loves your soul, he is not a respecter of person, which means he's not just paying for the college of this person or he's not just providing for that person. He's not just washing that person's feet or that broken person's feet or that race's feet. He's after everybody. He's loving everybody and not everyone's going to accept. Not every, it's been a lot, of de, a lot of decline has happened in my life. They're like, no thanks. <laughs> Come again or not ever again. And that's people's choice. Like, I can't make people allow me to love them. I can't make people allow me to love their soul or champion their soul. But I can be ready. I can be ready so after they reject me 14 times and the 15 times, they're like, all right, you know what? Let's try this. Let's figure this thing out. I'm like, yo, let's go. I'm ready to go, man. Because sometimes loving someone's soul is pushing through wave after wave of rejection. Like, how many times did mankind reject God? Like, how many times does mankind still reject God? If we're becoming immune to the vices of the enemy or to the devices of the enemy, it means that we will learn to love through our fear so that our fear breaks. There's a fear of rejection. There's a fear of mankind that is profound inside of us. We want to be accepted. We want to be loved. We want to be praised. Allow God to love your soul to the point where you are free from that torment. You are free from that fear, and it's broken. It's broken because if you're really learning to love others' souls, it means that you go beyond demographic you go beyond socioeconomic statuses. You go beyond racial preferences. You go beyond all of these things. You go beyond history stuff. Like some people are like, hey, man, uh, I think we probably need a former drug addict to talk to that drug addict so that he can be free. I'm like, no, that is not true. That is a completely misleading idea that is not in the word at all. Like Jesus saved tax collectors. He saved prostitutes. Last I checked, he was never a tax collector and he was never a prostitute. He saved an adulterous woman. Last I checked, he wasn't a woman and he wasn't adulterous. Look, when it comes to, to the heart of God, when it comes to God, you don't need a common history to have a common freedom. Like you just don't. 
This is when the sun sets free is free indeed. So when I'm reaching and loving someone's soul, this isn't human on human partnership. This is God loves me in my soul, and I take my cues spiritually and emotionally from that fabric, from that connection line, so that when I want to, in everything inside of me, wants to never speak to you again, because you're the worst. I yield to God. I take that preference. I take that emotion. I yield it to God. There's a way that seems right, in, right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. When we understand that this is about us learning to love others' souls the way God has loved our soul, it changes approach. It changes approach, and we no longer trust the way in which we've operated. We trust God. And that may mean that the way we've operated is good and it'll continue, but it also may mean the way you've operated is deplorable, it's broken, it's deceived, and it's got to stop. And how do you know this? Well, God's really great. He really is. Holy Spirit will teach you all things and bring to remembrance things. He's a great author in your life. He talks about the word. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. The Holy Spirit's really good. I got another scripture for you on this because God has a very a powerful work he wants to do in our soul but sometimes we don't allow them to do this work. And I have a suspicion it's because it's harder than just looking like the work is happening. Religious facade's always been easier to achieve than true soul transformation. This is why the Bible talks about whitewashed tombs. You've got these things that look great on the outside, but on the inside they're decaying. If we're a church that's truly loving souls and allowing our souls to be loved and bore out, then confession becomes something that's a part of our journey. And we're able to confess our sins into one another. Hey, I'm going to confess to you about where my soul's actually at right now. I'm not going to tell you blessed and highly favored if I don't actually feel blessed and highly favored. Sometimes we, we buy into these token phrases and we call them spiritual declarations, but they're just lying. There's just deception about where we're actually at because it's not good. It doesn't feel great to tell somebody you're not doing well if you're supposed to be doing well. And heck, if you're a church leader, by God, you can't tell them you're not doing well. You can't tell them your marriage isn't doing well. You can't tell them your thought life is garbage. Like, you can't tell them these things because you got a facade to maintain because you've achieved the status in a religious institution. So this is an anti-God equation. When we misrepresent ourselves to continue to achieve a status in community, this is an anti-God equation because God never lies. He knows no lie. He speaks no lie. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through him. So if you're lying about where you're at, this isn't spiritual. This is partnership with the Father of lies of which will never bear any fruits of righteousness. It's a, it's a happy confrontation dance. As like I confront these things in, in myself as well. I'm a pastor. Do you know there is zero things convenient about me confessing sin? My role, zero. Zero convenience to being like, I'm not doing well right now. I don't know if you guys know this, and maybe this hurts church attendance, giving, and actually maybe we just fail because I fail. There's zero convenience about confession for my role in community as the church is currently constructed. This is why you see pastors having a lot of hidden sins and such because they confess the sins, it's over, right? They're like, oh, God, I gotta hide this thing forever is what they believe. 
This is partnership with the father of lies. It doesn't breed righteousness. It doesn't breed God. It doesn't breed a true healing and health of the soul. The reason why the Bible talks about confess your sins unto one another so that you may be healed. we got to get comfortable with people's souls not being perfect and healed and whole. Like, we got to get comfortable with Tim representing himself and being like, hey, my soul's in this place right now. I need healing. It's not whole in this way. we got to be comfortable with me talking about where my soul's at and, and not to say, hey, this is who I am and to declare brokenness as my identity. See, because we're not talking about that either. Being like, hey, I'm just a really negative person. It's just kind of who I am. I see the worst in everything. Hey, I'm just really hard on myself and others. Very, very condemning, all right? See, look, that's, that's taking your brokenness and making it your identity. This is not what we're talking about. You don't confess your sins so that you can make an identity statement. You confess your sins so that you may be healed. So if you're talking about true soul, healing and partnership being made whole, it looks like this sanctification journey allowing God to meet you at your place of confession so that you may be healed. And don't try and lie to me, yourself, or anybody else that confessing to others isn't important. Confess your sins unto one another so that you may be healed. Do you know why this is important? Because telling people you're not perfect is humbling. It's just hard. It's actually, can I be honest? It's the worst. My personality says, that's the worst. I don't like that. That's no fun. That's not good. Let's not do it. Perfect. Everyone agrees? talking to myself in my head. Everyone agrees. Let's go. It's not convenient to be like, hey, these are the ways that I'm not perfect and that you could possibly reject me, <laughs> possibly not love me. Because you know people got conditions. Possibly not trust me. So, so when you truly bear your soul in its true form, it's ripe with potential rejection. Ripe. Ripe. So, so you have this interesting conundrum where people can really reject you truly. And Christians that shouldn't, they can. And they will. So, so there's Christians who are supposed to represent Christ, don't always do the best job. I think they're doing their best. Don't always achieve true Jesus success. And then there's Jesus and how he relates to you. So, so bear your soul in true confession to God first. Like really represent your soul accurately to God. And you'll find that if you're truly bearing your soul in confession to God, you'll try and kind of wrap it up a little bit and have conflict resolution when it's not actually resolved. You'll say something like, God, I know I'm in this place, but I know that you're great. And then I'll be, and I'm, I'm already right now, God, I'm in a better spot. And you're starting to kind of like try and talk yourself into some kind of like declaration that I'm not broken right now. And you're trying to kind of like, even in your conversation with God, it's funny because you're like lying to yourself and then you're lying to God. But if you actually go, woe is me like a man of unclean lips, impurity of spirit that has lustful desires and they've been winning. Period. God, save me. Heal me. Redeem me. Make me whole. Cover me by your blood. Set me free. This is this is imploring to God for an intervention on a God level with your soul. This isn't acting so others can believe you're in a good spot. This is actual true bearing of your life to God and saying, 
Here's where it is. Here's what I need you to do. Can you love me fully in this place? The reason why this is important that you allow God to do this to you is because you're going to do this to others. You're going to have the adulterous woman thrown before you where everyone wants you to stone them, destroy them, and condemn them, and you're going to love on them. You're going to have the man who stole from you thrown before you, and you're going to have an option. You're going to have the man thrown before you that murdered your kid. You're going to have an option. Like, you're going to have choices to love and to forgive or to choose human emotions have resentment, hate, vindictiveness. These are real options. They're real options as Christians, too. But I've heard story after story of people having supernatural choice where they chose God's expression and behavior to forgive the man who hit their son in a drunk driving incident. Like real stories where they forgave the man in the courtroom. Because when it comes to the call of God in your life, he doesn't leave you wanting with the ability to achieve it if you'll walk it out with him. God doesn't only call you, he gives you the power and the strength to walk it out. Would you actually take this courageous journey to love well, to love courageously, to love boldly? Will you actually take this courageous journey in actually loving someone's soul and allowing your soul to be loved? This is the thing I really loved about the mountain. I came here, I was a youth pastor for like eight years. I loved being a youth pastor. Felt like God expanded my vision to full community expression. So, okay, cool, like, let's do it. I got here, and guys, it took me probably two years to get comfortable with people actually giving back and actually loving me and actually supporting me as a person and as a friend. I was like, what is this? This is very uncomfortable. I don't like it. Would you, in my head, half the time, I was like, would you just stop? Like, please, like, just stop. Like, I'm really good at giving, but I don't want to receive anything anybody's giving. And there was this brokenness inside of me that couldn't, couldn't get good things, can't have nice things. You know, it's just, I can't get good. I can't receive good. I can't receive full love. I can't be seen in this. I can't be loved in this. I got to wear armor. I was a PK, so I was raised a PK, and you got you to gotta walk around with a certain amount of, like, everyone's watching you. You know, everyone. <laughs> Even the people that are like, you're not watching me or judging me. You're like, oh, you are. Okay. That's a surprise. Everyone's watching you, so you, you learn to grow this armor in church community, and then you, you begin to realize, like, oh, this, this is actually very unhealthy. For me to wear this armor in my soul and not allow church community, church family to see and to love my soul, this is an actual persuasion of the enemy to try and achieve isolation in my life. It's a goal of the enemy to try and isolate you, to keep you disconnected from people loving your soul as well. And you can tell me all of the stories of all of the people that have hurt you, broke you, didn't do nice things to you, damaged your soul. You can tell me all those, and I hear you. I probably won't even argue with you other than to say forgive them and let God heal you. But I'll also tell you this. There are people that will love your soul well. There are people in this community that love your soul well. And there's people in this community that want to love your soul well. They just don't know how to yet. And we're learning and we're growing. And this is the objective of this church. It's to love souls well. It's to persuade souls to love Jesus. Sometimes we think of persuasion as some kind of like, whoa, easy on the persuasion stuff. But no, like there is a persuasiveness in presenting the gospel narrative of Jesus that's important. 
there's a persuasiveness that exists in my heart that I'm going to persuade that person I'm mountain biking with that God loves them, and I'm going to persuade them to have a loving relationship with God. I won't relent. I won't stop. I will not ever give up. Even though half the time I want to, I won't give up. I won't give up because I understand that God pursued me, and he pursued me, and he pursued me, and he pursues me, and he still pursues me, and he's not going to stop pursuing me. I can do the worst things you can imagine, and God still does not stop pursuing you. He's knocking on the door of your hearts. He's perpetually in a place of, please, please, I implore you. I implore you. I desire relationship. And uh, Beth talked about, so good, not condemnation, shame, but invitation. But understand what that invitation is. He sends us into the highways and byways inviting people. So it's not like passive invitation on this microphone. Hey, city of Las Vegas, all of you who are lost, broken, and need Jesus, come to Jesus. I invite you to Jesus. This would be a passive invitation. Jesus is like, no, go invite them. Go tell them about the feast. Go tell them about the party we're having. Go talk to them. Go invite them. This is an invitation, but done in a hyper, hyper pursuit uh, even bordering on aggressive, but loving aggressive, if that makes sense. That triggered some people. I'm so sorry. It's diligent. It's intentional. It's, it's going for it. It's pressing. It's pressing. It's pressing. It's praying. It's praying. It's praying. And it's not praying that some broken person will finally be awesome like you. This is praying that God would give you an opportunity to love someone, to wash someone's feet, to minister to someone's soul. And you don't need a token at the end that had them pray a prayer. All you need to do is what God is leading you to do in that moment for their soul. For their soul. I've had times before where I had somebody say a prayer and I was like, I shouldn't have done that. Like I so keenly understood in the relationship with them it was not only premature, it was out of timing, it was awkward. They said yes because they were being nice to me. But what they really needed was their soul loved on for probably another hour, two hours, two months, three months, four months, six months. They probably needed me to go have coffee with them for another six months, loving on them, buying their coffee, spending time with them, listening to their journey, seeing where their soul was at, seeing where their brokenness was at. Hearing them talk about the brokenness of their home, the brokenness of their father, hearing them talk about how they were molested or raped, hearing them talk about how they can't get free from pornography or their drug addiction, hearing them talk about how their mom has manipulated them all their life, or hearing them talk about the anger that they have constantly, and it's like dynamite, it's ruining all of their relationships. Hearing them talk about the brokenness in their physical body, hearing them talk about their doubt, hearing them talk about their hate for God, hearing them talk about these things because their soul is trying to tell you something. It's trying to get you to see them and for them to truly see you. And I mean truly see you love them in their exact form. Not love them for who they can be in church, but love them in their exact form. Nasty soul and all. Dirty, dark, blotted out soul. Gross, filled with slime, filled with worms, full of all kinds of petrid, gross, nasty stuff and stinky, stinky, stinky. That was, if you want to tweet that, I'm cool with it. <laughs> uh, 
so, so we spend a lot of time in church, and sometimes it gets us used to this church environment. And sometimes it tricks our brains into thinking that this is like the truest form of Christianity. This isn't. This isn't like Christianity at its fullest expression. Christianity at its fullest expression is, 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 is washing people's feet. It's serving of all. It's laying your life down for somebody. Like if we're truly understanding Christ in our lives towards others, it's not when brothers and sisters gather in Christ and sing a song and listen to a teaching from a verse they've heard before. It's those things being brought into real life in courageous ways where you're terrified, where you're angry, where you're frustrated, where you're full of doubt. Like on multiple occasions with multiple relationships with people that God has put in my life, I've been positive that, that the enemy's going to win. There's been multiple times where I've just been absolutely persuaded like this will never work. They'll never, they'll never turn, they'll ne- their hearts will never be redeemed. I, I've, been, I've had my darkest of moments in a relationship and partnership with somebody where my humanity and my fear and my doubt was winning. It was winning. And it made me want to go, I can't do this anymore. I don't have time for this. It's frustrating. This is angry. I think about it. I don't want to think about it anymore. This isn't my responsibility. I just remember, I just remember, like it wasn't God's responsibility to send his son to die for us. Our sin, our brokenness, not God's responsibility. Not his. It was ours. It is ours. So far be it for me to decline the path that Jesus has actually walked out with me. Far be it for me to decline the path with others that Jesus has done to me. And he's done this to me, and he's done this to me, he's done this to me. So why why wouldn't I challenge myself to forgive? Because Jesus forgave me. And that stinks sometimes. It does. It does. Sometimes I want to believe that I've earned God's forgiveness more than others. Don't you wish this sometimes? So that you could not forgive certain people? You're like, you're different than me because you're more of a failure. You're more of a sinner. Your sin was worse. But it's such an inconvenient truth that God forgave us fully and thus, therefore, consequently, we forgive others fully. Woof. That is dooming for our hate. That is dooming for our bitterness. It's dooming. It's a death sentence for our hate. Confession of the soul. Confession of the soul would be, right now, I hate you. Wow, that's real. I hate them. I told Justice the other day, I was like, you know what's crazy? Is I think I actually hate them. It was so hard to say. It was so hard to say the confession of my heart. Because I worked hard to forgive every single day. It's so hard to say it, but I think I hate them. I said, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, I think maybe bad things should happen to them. This, this is really, really hard to say. It's really hard to say the true confession of where my heart was truly at. Because I knew where my heart was supposed to be at as a Christian. But where my heart was truly at was I was wrestling with hate. 
I was wrestling with it. I was wrestling with forgiveness. I was wrestling with trusting God with my, with my brokenness. I was wrestling with tr- trusting God with my relationships. And it's this part of our soul that we've got to learn to trust God with because it says it so well in the scripture. And it says this thing, it goes, it goes in Acts 2.27, it says, For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. I think sometimes we see our, our job as being the protector of our soul, being the champion of our own soul. But if we learn to trust God, we'll see that he's actually a covering for our soul. He's actually going to fight off corruption. He's going to fight off bitterness, resentment. He's going to fight off sin. He's going to convict us of the things that we're allowing to settle into our soul as well. So God will protect our soul well. Will you allow him to do a work in your soul? Will you allow yourself to be honest about where your soul is actually at? Because in that place of transparency and honesty with God, he can actually begin to do a real work. This will do a lot in our marriages. Like, be honest. Have you grown to hate your spouse? Be honest. Have you, have you held on to resentment and bitterness for too long? Have you gone to bed night in and night out with anger, resentment? Has your sex life dried up because you're angry and you hate them and you despise them, let alone want to have intimacy with them? Have you begun to hate your kids because they continually press on your stress and worry and fear? Have you, continue, have you started to hate people that were friends because they did something to you? Like being honest with where you're at, not so you can stay there, but so God can visit you there, heal you, love you, comfort you. The last thing on his mind is disqualifying you. What in the world? He sent his son while you were still a sinner. He sent his son. So if that doesn't persuade us about what God wants to do with our soul, I don't know what would. He sent his son while we were in a a place of disarray as a humanity, a dysfunction, a deep despair and sin. Thank you for listening to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada, with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about The Mountain Church, please visit us at themtnchurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.